Meadows Church, I won't stand up here and pretend that I am some world traveler that has gone to a lot of places. I haven't been a lot of places. I don't travel a lot. In fact, I will tell you that a few weeks ago, I was in Dallas, Texas for a conference, and I know enough about traveling to know that you got to get to an airport pretty early to, to, to get through the, the security check and all the stuff you got to go through to get to the gate you got to get to. So, especially Dallas-Fort Worth, that isn't that isn't just Omaha, that's Dallas-Fort Worth. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to get there early. I can't miss this flight. I have to be home to see you and you because this is a Saturday and I got to be back on Sunday to preach. So I'm there early, three hours early. I get to the Dallas-Fort Worth terminal and check him is awesome. It's a breeze. I was like, God's hand is on this. I got through everything. I'm to the gate, gate C-47, the correct gate. I get there, two hours to spare. I'm like, all right, I can relax. I can open my laptop, do a little bit of work, and just kind of wait for the first call. So I'm waiting, I'm working. You know how time kind of goes quickly when you're doing something. And I'm, I'm working away, and I realize, man, I've been sitting here a while. And I look at the clock, and it's about 20 minutes before the plane is supposed to take off. And I'm like, well, maybe they're running late, delays, whatever. You know how it is. So I, I get up, and I check the screens, and I'm like, okay, 1.30 flight, Dallas-Fort Worth to Omaha, okay, looks good. Yep, 1.30, looks good. We're cutting it close, but maybe there's a delay. I look, okay, gate C-19. I'm like, gate, gate C-19. I'm like, I'm at gate C-47. And why does that say C-19? I know I, know, I know I didn't get that wrong. So the guy next to me, you can see I'm kind of flustered, and he turns to me, and I turn to him. I'm, I, said, I said, do gates change? And he said, oh, yeah, they change all the time. I'm like, okay, why didn't anybody tell me this? Okay, I have no idea they change. I'm not checking gates. I'm at 47. That's what it's supposed to be. Nobody texted me. Nobody called me. No intercom said that the gate changed, and panic has set in. I have 20 minutes to get from C-47 to C-19. This is Dallas-Fort Worth. Again, the gates are quite a ways apart, so I'm like, all right. I, I grab my bag. I run. I'm panicking. I throw my stuff in my laptop bag. I got this bag, and I'm, I'm kind of I'm not sprinting, but I'm, I'm running. Okay, I'm jogging fast, but I'm still going, and it's awkward. And I got this thing, and I'm, I got Birkenstocks on. I'm like, this ain't working. So I stop, and I take my sandals off, and I'm that guy at the airport running in my bare feet. I mean, I took my pastor hat off. Hat off I put my crazy hat on. Get that out of my way. I got a plane to catch. So I am going, and I'm running. I only had to stop one time. Not bad, huh? To catch my breath, I was dying. It was a long ways. So I am running, and I'm going crazy, you guys. I get, and I'm like, gate 22, <gasps> gate 21. And I'm freaking out because it's close. Gate 20, and then I look, and I'm like, gate 19. And I look outside, and I'm like, oh, the plane is still there. The tarmac is still attached, and I'm like, Jesus, you're, you're good. That's good, you're good, and I'm dying. So I'm catching my breath, and I'm like, all right, perfect. But there's no one at the gate. It's like it's there, and there's the plane, but I'm like, I don't see anybody. So I, so I, I, I go over to gate 20, gal, and I said, hey, <laughs> I'm catching my breath. I'm like, that's my plane out there. And she's like, oh, that plane, that plane's closed. I said, no, it's not. That plane's wide open. I mean, it's, it, that's my plane. Tarmac's attached. I said, I, I need to be on that plane. I'm kind of spitting you. I said, I need to be on the plane. I was spitting that day, too. And I said, I need to be on that plane. And she says, she kept saying the same thing. I'm sorry, the gate's closed. I said, you're not understanding. I, look at my ticket, B27, that's where I'm sitting. Okay, that's my seat. She's like, oh, sir, your seat would have been given to somebody at standby by now. I said, are you from the, are you of the devil or who are you? What is your, uh, give it to somebody else? I said, if we go explain to that person that, that I'm here now, if they have any ounce of Jesus in them, they'll get off and they'll let me on. 
I said, you're not understanding. She said, sir, the gate's closed. The plane's closed. And you know, I tell you what, and she didn't know I was a pastor. I'm like, I will take you out. I, you don't know, need to know who I am, where I'm from. I was so upset. I sat down. I remember thinking, I don't get it. I'm staring at an airplane that is connected to a tarmac that I'm supposed to be on, and I can't get on it. And I sit down next to this gal next to me, and she's a steward of a flight attendant, and she, um, she just catches flights. They just let them on if there's room. There's no room, so she's sitting there too. And she said, you know, there's another flight going out to Omaha later today. And I'm like, oh, that's great. So I said, when? She said, well, it leaves at 10.30 tonight. I'm like, 10.30? That's like eight hours away. I'm like, well, I guess we have time to talk then, don't we? So we just strike up a conversation, because what else am I going to do? And she starts to tell me how she's flying from Dallas to Omaha to see her son, who's going through a big, hard struggle. And I'm like listening, and she's telling me about it. I'm like, interesting. And her son's in Bellevue, and I'm like, oh, we meet in Bellevue. She's like, oh, my son has an event tonight at a place, and I'm going to watch his kids while he's there. And it's at the place called the Beardmore Event Center. I'm like, that's weird. We meet at the Beardmore Event Center. She's like, okay, this is crazy. So we start talking, and she starts telling me the struggle that her son's going through, and I'm realizing, oh my gosh. So here I am inviting this gal and her family to church at a Dallas airport, and she's like saying, we're going to come. I'm bringing my son. We're going to be there. And I, and I sit back, and I'm like, okay, God, I'm still mad at you because the airplane's still sitting there, but you're doing something here. See, some of you, you, you came here today, and you're in, an, you're in a situation in your life that you don't, you don't get it. Like, there's questions. I don't understand why I'm here right now. I don't understand, God, what you're doing right now or what you're not doing. I don't get it. And God is like, you don't need to get it because someday you will get it. See, someday you will understand. That's what he was telling me. I didn't know that God was going to put this woman next to me. I didn't know that we're going to have a conversation for like 45 minutes, because I had time, and 45 minutes about what her, her family was going through and that God was going to use that to invite them to Meadows Church. I'm like, okay. God's working. This, this is so crazy. You guys, Jesus, when he had his last supper with the 12 disciples, the disciples would have been like that. They would have been like, I have no clue what you're doing right now, Jesus. I, like, I don't get it. He even said it to them. You, you, you're going to hear about it in just a second. Like, if you, I'll tell you this. If you brought a Bible or you have a mobile app with a Bible app, go to John 13. So John is a book in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all tell the story of Jesus' life from four different angles. It's incredible. So, and, and if you don't have those things, we'll put it up on the screen here in a second. But John 13 is this Last Supper. I mean, if you've been in the church at all, you've heard of that. This is the last gathering before Jesus would die the next day. Like the next day is when he goes to the cross and he dies. Night before, he's gathered with his friends and, he, and he's saying things to them. And some of the things like what he's about to say doesn't make sense. Like it's insane. So I'll show it to you. So in the first verse, listen, this is like Jesus' farewell address to his, to his friends. It says, before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that the hour had come to leave the world and return to the Father. He loved his disciples during his ministry, during his 33 years of life. He loved those disciples. He was with them, and he loved them till the very end. Verse 2, it was time, time to eat. It was time for supper. The devil had already entered into Judas Iscariot, one of the 12 disciples, prompting Judas to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything. And that he had come from God and that he would return to God. Isn't that interesting? So Jesus is facing imminent death tomorrow. He knows it. But it's interesting that based on what Jesus knew, 
It determined what he would do. I say that to you because when you know who you are and whose you are, you're going to know what he's calling you to do. Sometimes it's like, I don't get God's purpose. I don't understand his will. I don't know my next step. I'm like, just get to know him closer. Just get closer to Jesus. I promise you, he will reveal it. See, when you know who, who you are, you'll know whose you are. And, and, and when opposition hits, you won't freak out. You know, when, when, a, when a bad situation arises, like you're at an airport and you're looking at an airplane, but you can't get on it. When that happens, all of a sudden, you're gonna, instead of like freaking out and reacting, you might just rejoice. Because you start to realize, gosh, in all things, say all things. In all things, my God works for the good of those who love him. So if I remember that, God, what are you doing in this moment? Is this woman next to me, that's somebody that you want, we're supposed to strike up this conversation? Like, he'll show you these things. Gee, I love it. Jesus knew the Father had given him authority. So Jesus knew what he needed to do. Verse 4. So Jesus gets up. This, this is where it gets weird. Jesus gets up from the table, takes off a robe, wraps a towel around his waist, walks over, grabs water, and he starts to pour it into a basin. And they're, and they're thinking, what? And then it gets really weird. Because after he does that, he grabs a towel, and he commences to wash their feet and dries them with a towel. This, they didn't get it. Like, it, it, when he gets to Simon Peter, I'll show you how much they didn't get it. Peter was kind of belligerent. I, I mean, I, I can relate to Peter. Peter... Jesus gets to Simon Peter, he's washing feet, he's washing feet, he gets to Peter, and Peter's like, Lord, are you going to wash my feet too? And Jesus is like, yep, that's, that's the pattern we're doing here, Peter. He's like, well, you know, and Peter's just like, no, and, and then Jesus says it, because he knows Peter don't get it. Heck, none of them got it, and that's when Jesus said it. I, I need you to lean into the next verse, verse 7. Jesus replied, you don't get it. Not in a mean way, in a loving way. You don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. You don't understand now what I'm doing in your situation, in your relationship, in your, in your job, with that family. You don't get it, but someday you will. He says it to Peter, and Peter, Peter's like, well, Lord, don't wash my feet, I'll wash your feet. And Jesus is like, no, 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 Peter. I gotta wash your feet, it's important. So then Peter goes to the other extreme. He's like, well, gosh, if washing my feet is good, how about you wash me all over? Wash my head, wash my hands. And Jesus is like, oh my gosh, here we go. Now Peter goes from one extreme to the other. Put your pants back on, Peter. We're just gonna wash your feet, okay? Now he doesn't say that. That's the Monty translation. So don't tell your, you know, but that's, that's a paraphrase. So he's telling them, I gotta do it, Peter, okay? Skip to verse 12. After washing their feet, he puts his robe on again and then he says it. Do you understand what I'm doing, guys? Do you understand what I'm doing? You call me teacher, you call me Lord, and you're right because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet, I'm calling you to wash each other's. I'm calling you to do the same. I've given you an example to follow. Now do as I have done to you. Verse 16, Jesus says, I tell you the truth. That's all Jesus spoke was truth. He was the truth. I tell you the truth. Slaves aren't greater than their masters. Nor is a messenger more important than the one who sends the message. 
And verse 17, boy, I'm telling you, this is it. Now that you know these things, now that you see what I've done, now that you know God will bless you if you listen to these things. Wait, that's not what it says. God will bless you if you, if you read these things. No. God will bless you if you think about these things. No. God will bless you for doing them. God will bless you for doing them. And I'm sure the disciples are like, for doing what? Washing feet, Jesus? You're the most powerful person in the world. This is your final illustration? This is the final teaching? Are, are, what? We've seen you do signs. We've seen you do wonders. We've seen you perform miracles and, and, and pedicures? That's the answer? This is what's, I mean, I don't get it. See, washing feet's kind of a deal right now, especially in weddings. So if you go to a wedding ceremony, you might see the groom and the bride wash each other's feet in what's called a unity ceremony. So when Jody and I got married, we've been married 15 plus years, um, we didn't, there was, we didn't do that. We did the old traditional, I take a candle, you take a candle, we put them together and try not to start things on fire. You know, it's just, that's what we did. Some of you, you did the sand, and, or you did the rope, and you put it together, or you, whatever you found on Pinterest, you did something real cool. But the washing of the feet, this is, what they, this is what a lot of couples will do now. And it's such a humbling thing, but Jody and I, like if that would have been a requirement for us getting married, well, we wouldn't be together. She ain't touching my feet. She just isn't into that. It's, just, it's not her thing. And maybe it's because her jerk for a husband will sometimes, like, my feet, when they get real rough and callous, I'll kind of brush up against her and kind of scrape her leg. I know. I should, pray for me, will you? Um, but I think it's funny. She doesn't think it's funny. Like, she doesn't find the humor in it at all. Like, she wants to brush her fist against my face. It's like, that's not funny, honey. But side note, Jody kills plants in our home. Like, we have no living plants in our home. None. Can't have them because she kills them. Now, I used to think, man, she's just not good. She doesn't have a green thumb. Now I'm starting to think she kills the plants to show me what she's capable of doing. I just, I'm starting to think, okay, she's making a point. Scrape those crusty feet against me. Uh, but Jake, my 11-year-old, he loves feet. He's always cutting toenails. It's a weird deal. Dad, can I cut your toenails? I'm like, Jake, you just did 10 minutes ago, but sure, knock yourself out. I'm, I, I don't get it. It's almost a fetish. We probably need prayer. I don't know. It's just, he likes feet. Jody, not so much. The point is, the feet illustration with Jesus and the washing of the feet, probably one of the greatest leadership illustrations we'll ever see. Countercultural, yes. Jesus, what he taught the disciples on this day, and the reason they didn't get it is because it was so otherworldly. It's so, even today, that's not leadership. You don't get on your knees and wash feet, okay? But Jesus, this isn't the first time Jesus told him something crazy like that when it comes to loving others and leading others. Jesus, did you know one time, one time John and James, the, the, the best friends of Jesus, brothers, in Matthew 20, you gotta, if you're not reading the Bible, man, you, I want you to start. I do. I tell you, 10 minutes a day for the rest of your days will change your days in God's word. Not only that, but there's things that'll make you laugh. This story, I read it, I'm like, I, that's funny. Like, James and John, brothers, in Matthew 20, they have their mother, their mom, go to Jesus. They're like, Mom, ask Jesus if he'll, you know, help us out. I'm not kidding you. You can read it. So, so his, their mom goes to Jesus. She's like, Jesus, yeah, James and John, they, when you establish your kingdom, Jesus, James wants to be on your one side, and John wants to be on your other side. And, and she's literally asking that for her kids. 
I mean, you, you ever heard of a helicopter parent? You ever heard of that? Okay, one of you? Good. So I'll tell you what it is. Um, a helicopter parent is a parent that, that they fly in and help the kid when the kid's in trouble, okay? Like if Junior's got himself in trouble, they'll, they'll save the day. My mom was not that, okay? My mom, like hypothetically, let's say I spent a night in jail. This is hypothetical. Let's just pretend. Uh, anyway, so um, the last person I would call is my mother. That's the last person I call. Because you know what she'd tell me? Oh, hey, Monty, yeah, I'm, oh, mom, you know, I'm hanging out, you know, I got arrested, and here's what's going on. Oh, you got arrested? Oh, so you're in jail? Oh, so, so you got yourself in there? Yeah, I got myself in there. Okay, well, you'll, you'll find a way to get yourself out. Love you, click. That's what, that's tough love right there. I'm like, mom, 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 that's my one call. Mom, that's no, no helicopter parent there. But now there's a new thing, Casey. You know what it's called? This is true. I don't, I'm not lying. I'm your pastor. I'm not going to lie to you. A lawnmower parent. This is true. Lawnmower parents. This is for like the newer generation. And I love young generation. I love millennials. I love Generation Z, future leaders of the world. But their parents are kind of jacked up once in a while. This is a problem. This is what a lawnmower parent, I, I, took, I wrote down the definition so I don't get it wrong. Lawnmower parents go to whatever length necessary to prevent their child from having to face any struggle, any adversity, any problem. So they don't, they don't want their kid even in the mess. They, don't, they want to prevent them from the jail altogether or whatever the dysfunction is. That's what they do. So, so do you know that there are parents, this isn't true, I, I, I don't know the percentage, but there are parents of, 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 of young, maybe 18, 19, 20, 20-year-old kids, that they literally go to the job interview with the kid. Yeah, I know, that's what I said. What? And, but, and, and you think, oh, they're just there to support them. They're in the lobby praying for them. No, they want to go into the interview. So if the questions get too hard, we can help little Jimmy, help little Jimmy answer the question. I'm like, are you kidding me? If, that, if anybody in this room is like that, listen, you need to repent right now. You, we want to pray for you. We want to exercise a demon out of you. I don't know what you, was wrong with you, but that's wrong. That's jacked up. Are you kidding me? Though I was a lawnmower parent on Friday, not in that way. I told Ava, I said, Ava, get your butt outside and mow the lawn. It's like this tall. You know, that's, that's the kind of lawnmower parent I am. But I'm like, that was James and John's mom, a lawnmower mom. She's like, Jesus, can they be on your left? Can they be on their, okay, whatever. So my point is this, what Jesus was modeling at the Last Supper, it was insane. After, after, the, after that Matthew 20 thing, here's what Jesus said it again. He said this in Matthew 25 through 28. After mom asked that, Jesus said, all right, we need a meeting. This is messed up. Calls them together. He says, you know that the rulers of this world lorded over the people. Officials flaunt their authority. Leaders want to be all that uh, of those under them. But he says, among you, it must, say must, must be different. Jesus is calling us to a different standard. Whoever wants to be a leader must be a servant. That's what he said. Must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must become your slave. And then he blows them away with the next statement. For even the Son of Man, even me, Jesus Christ, came not to be served, but to serve others and give my life as a ransom for many. Jesus, you are the most powerful person in the world. You, you can command anybody to serve you and it would be, it would be okay. But yet all he did was serve others. You know what our world would say? Our world would, would define leadership as authority, power, position. Jesus, he would say it's love, humility, service. 
Society says, you know what, I'm going to determine your leadership potential based on asking, well, how many people do you lead? Because that tells me how good you are. Jesus is looking at us and saying, you know what, how many people do you serve? That's what he's asking. Because at the end of the day, isn't that what's going to change the world? See, I believe that. And Jesus knew it. That's why he's teaching us that. Jesus says, I wash feet. You wash feet. That's what he said. I'm modeling it. You think I want something from you? No, no, no. I want something for you. This is a radical thing. Takes me to the main point. You need to all, you need to own this. When we become servants, say servants. See, servant isn't a word that we hear a lot today. Probably need to hear it more. Jesus said it all the time. When we become servants, we'll experience the life that Jesus intended. When we become servants, we will experience life the way Jesus intended. Here's what I know about you, even if I don't know you. You want to make a difference. You do. You want your life to matter. You want to live your purpose. Say purpose. Purpose. Here's the problem. A lot of people want to live the purpose. They just don't want the perspiration that's required to live the purpose. That's the difference. Oh, I want in the game. Series is called Get in the Game. Get in the Game. But we don't want to go to practice. We don't want to do the work. Or we want in the game and then we're going to tell somebody else how to play their game. How to, how to play their position. I love that. Uh, let me fix you. Let me help you. Let me tell you who to date, who not to date, what job to take, what job not to take. It's like, why are the people that are doing that the people that have no idea what they're doing? Why? My gosh, I'm a pastor. I have some financial advice. I want to, you could invest in this and do this. I'm like, okay, but aren't you the same guy who filed bankruptcy three times? I mean, I, seriously, I can lose my own money all by myself. I don't need your help. It's like, but, but we think we're going to save people. We're going to help people in that way. Listen to me. I think we should leave the saving to Jesus. I do. He's good at it. Like, he's called to do it. He's not calling us to save anybody. Jesus is calling us to serve people, to love people, to point people to him. At the end of the day, isn't it true? Save people, serve people. If you've been saved by Jesus Christ, if you've called on his name and accepted him into your life, I'm telling you your next step, well, Jesus is telling us. Saved people. And if that's not you, boy, I tell you what, God's got a word for you. When we serve, Jesus saves. I see it all the time. Let's talk about what's happening in your church. Meadows is uh, 22 months old, and that's young. But yet God is doing something supernatural that we expect him to do because he's a supernatural God, so we expect that. Like, I, I would expect growth. Healthy things grow, honestly, Right? We don't have to fabricate it. We don't have to, all we need to do is our part. We, we plant, we water. God, you'll make it grow. He does what he does. He's good at what he does. Did you know last weekend, check this out, last weekend, we're still in summer, barely, but we're in summer when traditionally you, you don't grow. Last weekend, Meadows, we had our highest attendance ever in our church last week. So we give God glory for that. And we praise God for that. And that is awesome. And that is great. But here's what, here's what saddens my heart. Most churches, especially in our country, are not growing. Okay, you might say most. What, 60%? 95%. 95 of churches are plateaued or declining. And I'm telling you, today's teaching is central to why. Let me explain. Let me say this first of all. 
because I've gotten pushback on this, which I can't believe. God wants his church to grow. Okay, God wants his church to grow. I'm never going to apologize for a big vision or that we want to reach people for Jesus. Why would we apologize for that? That's what God's calling us to do. But sometimes people push, they're like, well, if God wants his church to grow, you know, or those 95% of churches to grow, he'll, he'll, he'll grow them, he'll do it. Okay, my response to that is bull crap, okay? And that's my censored response, bull crap. God wants his church to grow. Like Jesus did not hang on a cross for his church not to grow. Did, did he? Okay, well, it sounds like it's all about the numbers. Yes, now you're catching on. Why? Because every number has a name, and every name has a story, and every story matters to God. You matter to God, and you matter to God, and so do you. You matter. It's what they represent. So I'll never apologize for having a big vision about a church. You have it too. I know you do. That's why you're here. But I'm telling you, there's something, like in the church world, there's something called the 2080. So the 2080, that don't make sense to you, but it will in a second. It's not a good rule. It's a bad rule. It's a bad, it's, it's, it's not good. It means 20% of the people do 80% of everything. This is common, very common. Maybe in the church you grew up with or whatever, very common. You see the same people. It's the same people serving. It's the same people doing the outreach. It's the same people making the phone calls. It's the same people giving their tithe. It's the same people uh, on a dream team. It's the same people in a life. It's always this 20%. Okay, that's the tw- it's going to kill the 20%, unfortunately, and the 80% will never live their purpose. It, it's so dysfunctional. It's so, it is so unbiblical. Like people will say, well, pastor, you're the, you're the pastor. You do the ministry. Okay, let me read you scripture. Don't take Monty's word for it. Take, take the Bible. Ephesians 4, 11, and 12. Because I used to think that same thing. If you think that, don't, I'm not mad at you. I'm, I think most people think that. Church staff, you do the ministry, we'll come and show up and whatever. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. Now these are the gifts Jesus Christ gave to his church, his bride, his plan to save his people through his salvation. There's apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors, teachers. Their responsibility is to equip the church. Say church. The church to do the ministry. The church to to equip God's people to do the work and build up the church, the body of Christ. Churches aren't growing because the church isn't being the church. This is, it's so key that we understand this. In so many churches, it's the same people showing up. And those same people are getting upset because they're not growing. Okay, that... This, that would be like hiring a personal trainer. Casey, you're my personal trainer. It's just makeup. Don't get carried away. But Casey, you're my trainer. Let's go to the gym. And I tell Casey, all right, day number one, Casey, start lifting weights. And Casey's like, but I'm the personal trainer. I don't care. You, you do the work. You lift the weights. I'm going to sit over here and eat Cheetos, you know. <laughs> just eating my Cheetos. You're lifting weights. And then six months from now, when I haven't grown, or I've grown, but not in a good way, you know. So, but I'm not buff, and I'm not in shape, and I can't run from gate 47 to gate 19 without dying. And I'm mad at you. And I'm like, Casey, I hired you, but you're like, you told me to do it. Does that make sense? It, we are the church. We are the church. And I get you guys. I went to church. And, and I'm so passionate because it was, for most of my life, I've always gone to church. I always have. Rarely was I the church. I would, I would come and I would take. I wouldn't expect life change. I'd show up, check it off the list, and live my life. And that's not God's plan. That is so unbiblical. 
So, uh, so I'm looking at what Jesus says. And I said the same thing. I'm like, well, I'm busy. I lead, I lead a busy life. You know what my pastor told me? Monty, if you're too busy to serve, you're doing something that God's not called you to do. I was like, dang, that hurt. He didn't care. I was like, okay, I'll get over it. But that's what he told me. And I realized in my life, I said yes to way too much. We say yes to way too many things that we're not even called to say yes to or do. But we're like, oh, it's another opportunity. Well, there's, there's a lot of opportunities. There's, you'll, you, you, I mean, you could, you could never sleep and not have enough to do. I mean, but, but, but so, I, so I live a busy life, I would say to people. I want a place to rest. I want a place to get filled up. I want a place to get refueled. I want that for you. That's why you're here right now. I want to pour into you. I want to love you. I want to feed you God's word. I want to encourage you. I want to show you that there's hope beyond anything that you're going through. But ultimately, once you get fed up, or once you get fed, and once you get filled up, my, my purpose for you is that you would, you'd pour it out so someone else can have the same thing that you have. That, that's why we talk about attend a service and serve a service. You get filled up. You get poured into. You get loved. And then you can go and you can pour out so someone else can get what you have. This is the beauty of the church. This is the beauty when the church comes together. But, but I believe growing up in the church, well, if I just come and I just attend, I'm going to get filled up and I'm going to get changed. I was so wrong. I was so wrong. I was so wrong. Jesus promised that those who serve will be blessed. And I'm not just talking in the church. I'm just talking serving, loving others, truly being the hands and feet of Jesus. It's amazing. But it's so countercultural. I tell our dream teams all the time, our dream teams, those are our serving teams. We call them dream teams because I guarantee you, ask them. When you find your wheelhouse, when you find what you're called to do and you get to do it and live out your purpose in the church and in the world, you're living the dream. That is the dream team. So, so they're on these dream teams. And I tell them all the time, I said, listen, guys and gals, if the pastor don't show up, if your dysfunctional pastor misses a flight like he's been known to do, guess what? Church will still go forward. You're still, you're still going to hear a message. You're going to still gonna get God's word. You're still going to get the gospel. And lives are still going to change. But if the dream teams don't show up, well, we're in trouble. We are in big trouble because they are the church. It's so powerful. And I love watching people serve where God has called them to serve. I want to show you a story quickly here about Blake. Blake is on our, our worship dream team, and Blake's life is literally, you ask him, you find him after the service, you ask him how Jesus Christ is transferring, or tran, transforming his life through the church. Ask him. He'll tell you. It, it, it is amazing, but, but, but I'll let him talk to you for a second here. Check out the screen. Watch this. Well, my name is Blake. I'm on the worship team at Meadows. Um, playing bass right now. It's pretty awesome. Really enjoy doing it. I knew I needed to get into serving when I actually started serving. There was, there was a moment before where I wasn't sure about it, and it wasn't until I started actually doing it that I became sure that it was what I was called to do. Serving means a lot to me. It's really hard to actually express. Like I practice every single day for for worship, and it's not because I want to be perfect or anything, it's because I love doing it. I think if you're even thinking about getting into a serving role in the church, just do it. it what, what is there to lose, really? If, if you really think about it, what, what can you lose? Time? God will give you more of that, you know? Energy? God will give you more of that. Serving is important because through serving, we build community and rapport with each other. 
through, through serving, we actually build relationships with each other. And that allows us to grow together rather than alone. If someone was unsure about whether or not they should serve people, I would, I would tell them why I got into serving. I was uncertain whether or not I should actually serve, but I decided to step into it anyways. And that's, that's what I would say is to just, just try it out. I just really love my dream team. When we become servants, we live the life that Jesus intended. I will guarantee you, Blake and every other dream team member, they, they, they had no idea what God was gonna do when they, start, when they said yes. Does Blake put in a lot of time? Yep, a lot of it we don't even ask him to do. He just does it on his own because he wants to give God his best. Serving changed my life. When I gave my life to Christ 12 years ago, well, you need to know that when you're dysfunctional and you're messed up and you're desperate, I just, I just talked to a gal at our nine o'clock service. That's where she was and I was deep in, in my heart, I was praising God. I'm like, God, she's ready. She's broken. Sometimes you need to be broken before you can find the Lord. That's where I was, desperate and dead. Serving was the last thing on my mind. I, I, just, wanted, I just wanted to stop doing drugs. I wanted to stop lying to my wife and my family. I wanted to quit living a double life and pretending like I was somebody I not. I wasn't. I wanted to quit feeling dead on the inside because I felt it every day. And it was misery. And I was miserable. Serving and attending. Oh, I, I don't even know. I wouldn't even know what you're talking about. I just want to live to see another day. Something happened 12 years ago and like the woman that I talked to at the nine o'clock service, I was so broken. And I remember sitting in church and being dysfunctional and wanting to use drugs, but yet wanting to live a, a, a life that I knew deep in my heart that Jesus purpose and plan for me, but I was so far from it. And I'm, I, I, I'm in there and I, the, the pastor's preaching like I'm preaching to you and I just felt this overwhelming presence. One was worthlessness and just like, I, I'm so worthless, I'm so but on the other side, I felt like, God, you're doing something. I don't know what. And I remember saying yes to Jesus. And I remember standing up and I'm like, I'll give my life to this. That no idea what it meant. And I, I was compelled to do something. You know what the church did? They said, you need to serve. I didn't even know what that meant. I'm like, I need to go in the community. They're like, no, start in the church. I said, okay, what, what, where? They said, we'll start in our kids' ministry. And that's what I did. Like, I didn't ask for it. They just said, here, serving kids. And then I kept doing it. And then they kept giving me more positions and leadership and this and that. Can I tell you something about my story? People always ask, well, how do you, you know, you got a platform and you get this church and it's growing and it's all. I'm telling you, it ain't me. It is not. I just kept saying yes. If, if the church would have never challenged me, I wouldn't be here. If they would have never let me lead, I didn't ask for the leadership. I didn't ask to be in kids ministry. I didn't ask to be a campus pastor. I didn't ask to plant a church. I didn't ask any of that. They just kept presenting it and I just kept, okay, I guess, I, yeah, I guess, I don't I just kept saying yes. And all of a sudden, I'm in, I'm in my purpose here and I desperately want that for you as you look at me and listen to me. I, I yearn for you to live your purpose. Like I exist so that you would live your purpose. That's what I want for you. I want it so desperately, but I know that you, we don't know what's best for us. I had no idea serving is gonna change my life. Oh my gosh, the kids ministry, I was learning stuff in the kids ministry, I'm like, 
wow, that happened in the Bible? I'm like, I didn't know the Bible. I mean, I'm learning stuff in the elementary room. I'm like, wow, this is crazy. It's nuts. And it's happening here in our kids' ministry. Oh, gosh. Okay, side note. Last weekend, this woman comes in our church. I know her. Kate comes with her two young kids. And, and I said, hey, it's good to see you. And you know what she says to me? She says, don't thank me. Thank her. And she points to her littlest kid, little preschooler. She says, she got us here. And I thought, she didn't drive you, did she? Because that's dangerous. But no, she didn't drive them. She, goes, she got us here. She wouldn't be quiet about it. That woman had a rough week. Not rough, a busy week. Let's say busy. Busy, bu traveling, doing a lot of stuff for her entrepreneur business. Didn't really feel like going to church. I know, I get it. It's crazy. But her little child wouldn't shut up about church. Wow, that's a good problem to have. That wasn't me. I was growing up, I, that was not me. It's so countercultural. But she, but she said, it's her. Do you know why her little preschooler were so excited about coming to Meadows Kids Ministry? It's not because we have a great curricu curriculum, though we do. It's not because that it's a safe environment, though it is. She wanted to come because of the dream team. Because of the men and women who serve in the kids' ministry that literally, literally love her like it's, she's their own. Love her and point her to a God who loves her more. It's in this little girl's heart. She was holding her Bible. You couldn't get her Bible. If you would have took her Bible, she'd kick you right in the shins. She would. You ain't taking her Bible. She was holding her Bible. Couldn't wait to get in there. She didn't want to talk to me. She wanted to go talk to her, the people that loved her in the kids' ministry. I'm like, I love that. They're changing lives when we're serving others. Oh my gosh. But when you leave here, the world's going to tell you something and it's going to lie to you. Remember how Jesus was countercultural? Remember that? So the world's going to tell you, you want joy? Find others who will give to you. You want to live your purpose? Find others who will serve you. Jesus says, you, that's so backwards. You want joy? Give your life away, Jesus says. You want purpose? Serve others with all your heart. That's what Jesus would say because he knows when we're serving others and we're loving others, he knows that our world, your world, my world will never be the same again. That's what he knows and that's why he said it. So I come back to this. Do you know what blew me away? Check this out. Because some of you, some of you feel like I felt that day when I was in church. Some of you feel like that woman did at the nine o'clock service. You don't feel worthy. Like you, you feel like you're a sinner. And you are, and so am I. But we have a savior. I'll tell you something that blew me away about the story I'm preaching you today. God blew me away. I'm putting the message together. And on Friday, God showed me something. And, and, well, I'll just tell you. The scripture I read to you in John 13, it says Jesus washed all their feet. Do you remember verse 2 or 3 when it says Satan entered Judas and prompted him? Judas was one of those disciples. And I remember just thinking, Jesus washed Judas's feet. The King of King and Lord of Lords. The guy in the the guy in his inner circle who would backstab him and turn him over to be killed. Jesus knew that was going to happen. He knew who was going to do it, Judas. But what does Jesus do? This blew me away.
he would get on his knees, Judas, come here. And Judas is like, I didn't even know what he was going to I didn't know. I, I thought he might skip me because I, I, I'm about ready to blow this joint and go turn him in. Jesus knew it. Judas, come here. And he looked, at, he looked at Judas with love in his eyes, no different than Peter, James, John, Thomas, or any of them. And I picture the Lord taking off Judas, Judas, taking off Judas' sandals. And I think about what Judas was thinking. Judas is like, oh my gosh. I bet Judas felt worthless. I bet he did. I bet he felt worthless. I felt that way in my life. I hate it. And all Jesus did, he takes his, takes his feet and he holds them with such love. And he looks at Judas's eyes with such compassion, not condemnation, not hate, not even anger. But he looks at Judas with such love and he grabs a towel and he dips it in. I just, I don't know what Judas was thinking. I don't know what Jesus was thinking. I just, I can't. I, and he starts to wipe his feet knowing what Judas is about to do. And I bet he's telling Judas, I love you. Judas if, it, Judas, if it was just for you, I'd do it again. I love you. And he puts it back in. And he takes the sandals and puts them back on Ju Judas's feet. And one more time, I bet he says, I love you. And Judas gets up. And a few moments later, he would leave to do what he had to do. I don't get it. I don't know if I'll ever understand that kind of love. I don't know if I will. I know that I like it. I know that I love it. I know it's what I felt that day when I, when I thought about my disgusting life and the way I was living. And the Lord, it's like, Monty, and you, and you, and you, I know what you did. I know. I know. make you new and I'll set you straight and I'll never give up on you and I'll never stop pursuing you and I'll never stop loving you ever that's what Jesus says today to the people maybe you've never accepted that maybe you believe in Jesus but it's not today is your day that you call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ the one who came to wash feet and you tell him God I ain't worth it and I know it and Jesus will counter that and say, you are worth it. And that's why I died on a cross. And that's why I rose from the dead. And that's why I would do it again just for you. Somebody here, you're going to, like that woman at the 9 o'clock service, I wish you would have. Oh, my gosh. Surrender your life to Jesus today. It's the beginning of a new life. It's the beginning of purpose and hope. If this is your day to do that, whether it's a commitment or recommitment, I pray that you do it. And for the dream teams, that's why the cards are there. I pray that if God is moving in your heart, maybe you just have questions about a dream team, fill it out, turn it into guest services. We'll, we'll call you, we'll talk about it. But what you need to know is every dream team that we have in our church is significant. Everyone is changing lives. I tell our teams all the time, I try to encourage them. Our sign team, they can think, oh, all, I do is, all I do is put signs in the ground. All I do is hammer in flags, big deal. It's so funny, I love them, they're, all, they're real. One day I was watching them hammer the, I saw them hammering them in, they're out there smoking cigarettes hanging out of their mouth, boom, I'm like, that's our church, that's metals. It's, it's awesome. And they're doing it, I wonder, and I, thought, and I think to myself, I wonder if those guys know. I wonder if they know 
the impact that they're making. And then things happen like happened last weekend. Or those cards, those cards I'm telling you to fill out, I'm begging you to fill we, I get a card and it says, how'd you hear about us? And the guy marks signs. And I look at it and I'm like, oh my gosh, I got to tell the sign team. I got to tell the sign team. This guy came. And then I keep reading it. And I'm like, oh, he lives at the apartments right over there. So I'm sure he looked out the window. Oh, metal signs. I'm able to check it out. And then I kept reading his card. It was crazy. Guy was 88 years old. That's awesome. 88 years old, sees the signs, gets up, comes over here. And guess what? He recommits his life to Jesus Christ in our church. Is that amazing? I'm telling you, I don't care if you're eight or you're 88. If you're breathing, God's moving. And if you're not dead, guess what? Your God is not done. Give him praise, somebody. I need to hear you louder than that. I need to hear you louder than that. I need to hear you. Oh my God. Your Father in Heaven loves you. He loves you. Do you hear it? Do you see it? Accept His love. Take it in. You'll never be worthy. He knows that, but He did it anyway. And He would do it again. Oh my gosh. I want to pray for you. I'm so excited to pray for you because I've been, I've been waiting to preach this, but I, that whole thing with Judas, I did not. God was, God was working on me. I hope He's working on you. I pray that you do whatever he tell you do whatever he's calling you to do. Father, oh man, I thank you so much for your truth. I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for stories like that young girl who came in here saying, I gotta get to church. I gotta get to church. I gotta find, I gotta find those people, those men and women who love me like they do. That's countercultural. Jesus, we live in a culture where people aren't running to church, especially the young generation. They're running from it. But yet we have young kids that, that they're, they're getting loved in such a supernatural way. So we've got a young child moving because of your spirit. And then we have a gentleman, 88 years old, recommitting it. Jesus, I want, we want more of that life change. I pray for every man, woman, teenager, child, in this place today. God, I pray that as I pray this prayer, you fill them with your presence. You reveal yourself to them. You show them that they're valuable. You show them that they're loved. God, I pray that on their part, they will do whatever you're calling them to do. Because you're very clear in your word. You said it. It wasn't me, God. It, Jesus, it was you. You said, if you do these things, you will be blessed. I, I, I want blessings for our church. I want blessings for these men and women, these boys and girls. I want them to be blessed. I want them to live their purpose, Jesus. I thank you so much for your truth. We thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for Jesus, your beautiful son who served and saved and loved in such a supernatural way. People were just drawn to it like a magnet. We, we are, love is the most attractive force in the world and Jesus, nobody loved like you do you love people that they didn't they didn't have to love you back you loved them anyway like judas thank you for loving us thank you for dying on a cross for us for rising from the dead and thank you for the truth that if we call on your name ask you to come into us ask for forgiveness you'll forgive us you'll set us free and you'll make us new people are going to do that today 
people are going to come home today. People are going to step into dream teams today. Lives are going to be changed today. God, and we'll never stop giving you glory. We'll never stop giving you praise. We love you, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus. And we'll never stop declaring, Father, that in you, the best is yet to come. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody says...